Hello everyone and welcome back. Uh, my name again is Steve Hendricks and I'm the president here at uh, M.Care. So this is the third podcast in our series. It's our second one with Dr. Tom Hale, who's joined us again uh, here uh, this afternoon. So in our last podcast, Dr. Hale shared with you really his experiences and his vision of what's going on in the healthcare industry today. The paradigm's changing, we're moving into value-based care, but the healthcare industry really wasn't ready for uh, a new model. And so there's a lot of disruption taking place in the healthcare industry. Now we're gonna transition to some real world experience. Uh, call it a, a real life case study. Uh, as Tom was the executive medical director uh, at Mercy Virtual, when Mercy Health decided to stand up what we like to call the world's first uh, hospital without beds. And Tom can comment on that as well. Uh, Tom, are you with us? Right here, Steve. Anxious to, uh, anxious to have a discussion. Awesome. Thank you for joining us again. So, uh, again, you know, we want to get down to uh, what I'll call real-world uh, examples. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the vision that you had initially for the Mercy Virtual uh, Center, how it all kind of came to be, and uh, just bring us up maybe to, uh, to that point when uh, uh, it was up and running and, and things were exciting, because I was there, and it was, uh, it was fascinating uh, what you all were able to do. Share a little bit of that story with, story with our audience today. No, I appreciate that, Steve. So if you remember what we talked about last time was a little brief, uh, brief discussion around the, the, uh, uh, what, what's different in healthcare now, what's the burning platform, and, and just reiterate, and we all agree that the cost of healthcare is unsustainable, and we know that patients are becoming consumers of healthcare. All you have to do is be a physician in your office, and, and the patient comes in and tells you what they learned on the Internet and wants you to com on, comment on that. Payments are moving to value-based, uh, revenues shifting to the ambulatory setting, and, and instead of procedures and utilization being the unit of measures, now how many lives, how many patients are you managing? Inpatient utilization, just by the nature of technology, actually is decreasing. As we had spoken about earlier, bypasses have gone from two weeks in the hospital to three days to some procedures actually happening as an outpatient. Uh, common right. competition Competition for the healthcare dollar continues to grow. And we, as we've spoken about last time as well, the, the, it comes from non-traditional sources. I mean, who, who, you got Apple that's going to send you, uh, I, I read an article the other day that Apple says you don't need to go see the physician. We can do your physical for you. Yeah. Uh, scary thought. I saw that. So providers and physicians, they have consolidated, but uh even without the consolidation, uh, we're seeing a significant shortage of providers and nurses, particularly in the primary care aspect. So, uh, and, and I think that the other aspect that we talked about was that the physicians and the providers and nurses and even the patients are not really prepared for the change right. uh, at the present time. So we were sitting there, you know, these were the things that were happening as we were starting to discuss all our uh, uh, things around innovation that we had been uh, researching and trying some some aspects. The first was actually telemedicine, the old television medicine, where we right. would actually have uh, vis video visits with patients. But that rapidly began to evolve. And we, we formulated what we thought was actually wasn't it wasn't telemedicine that we were interested in it was actually virtual care 
which has now actually become pretty much a, a byword across the, the industry. And our view of virtual care was it was a, a triad of technology, your video visits, your monitors, your uh, software platforms. It was also about analytics and data. We had this big push uh, uh, that was uh, formulated over time uh, of putting electronic medical records in all physicians and hospitals. And through that, we've gained a significant amount of data, uh, much of which we haven't known what to do with, but are beginning to learn uh, how that data can support our, our decisions and select the right patients to care for. But we also brought some aspects of what we thought was important uh, uh, from historically physicians, what we think and what we call the art of medicine is really all about relationships between the physicians and patients. So how can you take those three aspects and create a model of care that will uh, uh, battle those uh, uh, burning platform issues that we had talked about before? Right. So naturally, um, being part of the Sisters of Mercy when I was doing this, uh, the sisters always told us no margin, no mission. So we <laughs> want to do the right thing for patients, but we also have to find a, a financial model that, that would allow us to do those types of things. Well, that's where healthcare economics in the United States is really interesting because we spend $3 trillion uh, in a year around healthcare within the United States. We invest in lifestyle modification and personal choices. That that is something we need to be in, uh, uh, cognizant about, and we need it is an important aspect of, of our caring for patients. And we also react to disease uh, mm -hmm. and uh, acute care. Uh, unfortunately, in that case, our our biggest uh, our biggest monitor is actually the patient themselves, and they, the patient becomes our alert system when they show up at the emergency room or they call the physician. Right. Of course, I'm, I'm sure, Steve, you've never called your physician late at night. Never. <laughs> so, but the third thing is is what I've uh, labeled stupid stuff. It's a it's a trillion dollars of wasted uh, resources on things that didn't need to happen, and that's all about increasing access so that people know that they can get hold of their provider and decreasing right. variation in the care delivery model. So at Mercy, you know, one it, did, it didn't like this happen overnight. We actually had been in the EICU business uh, for about six years before we started to begin to expand. Uh, and the EICU um, taught us quite a bit, actually. And what it taught us was that it isn't about Superman moments. It isn't like you're going to make this tremendous diagnosis on someone like on, in my day, it was Marcus Welby. It's probably House now, or maybe it's even um, some other medical show. It's actually about meat and potatoes. Is the medicine the correct medicine that right. the patient's getting? Is it the is it the uh, is the head of the bed elevated? Do they have their stockings on? All those things that are are the day to day aspects that we overlook, uh, but are so important in patient care. Mm -hmm. The second thing we learned, Steve, and, and you were part of this um, as we started to work with MCARE as one of our uh, abilities to be able to, uh, uh, to interact with patients, and that was around sepsis. And what we learned with sepsis was that if you centralize, if you collect the data on a patient and you centralize that data 
uh, to be reviewed by one or two people, you decrease the variation in care. And then you rework the workflow so that instead of, of processing that back out to a largely distributed group of physicians and providers, you send it to a uh, rapid response team. And because of that, we significantly impacted our, our, uh, our sepsis and severe sepsis mortality and morbidity uh, and, and were able to sustain uh, that uh, type of, of model. But it also taught us not only the centralization in order to decrease variation and reworking the workflows, but it taught us that everybody would benefit from being monitored in a hospital in every mm -hmm. acute bed. And I think that you'll see hospitals headed in that system. However, we also began to understand that perhaps monitoring and providing that access to care and decreasing variation in the ambulatory setting might have a significant impact. And where that has, once again, it's as the, the 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 wasted trillion dollars, another opportunity, and healthcare is a little bit interesting in that regards, and that's that five percent of the people spend fifty percent of the dollars. And so what we did was, and this is where you and I and and the rest of the gang at MCare got together, uh, was we created a model of care where we we put uh, monitors. Bluetooth monitors, and we put uh, smart devices, and and you all built the the best interface I've ever seen for uh, patient engagement interface, and then we put a uh, that core team together centrally, like we did in right. sepsis, and then we followed that that it's about meat and potatoes, and gave that patient twenty four seven access and decreased the variation in care, and you know what the result was? It was uh, well, I'll give you an example. So our our very first patient was <laughs> Sweet Naomi. You know Sweet, Sweet Naomi. You betcha. She's a delightful little lady, and and Sweet Naomi had two primary cancers. She was on HOMO two, uh, but she was at home, and all she wanted to make sure was that she could stay at home, and that she could uh, 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 hobnob with her two daughters, which were very who were very attentive, and could mm -hmm. play bingos on on Tuesday nights. In, in Naomi's case, the year before we put her in the program, she was in the ho she was hospitalized uh, over ten times and was in the emergency room about nine times. Her total cost for that period of time was about five hundred, about half a million dollars, as you would expect for someone with the conditions that she had. Right. Because we because we were able to utilize the care platform to interface with that patient, and because we put that centralized uh, group. Of, of caregivers, the nurses and the social workers and the, the physician, and because we had the monitors in place, all of that together, uh, Naomi, uh, who lived another eight months while she was in the program, stayed at home, played bingo every Tuesday night, and <laughs> gave her daughters all, gave her daughters all kinds of trouble. Absolutely. And during that eight month period of time, she was only hospitalized one time, and that was an overnight stay. That's the kind of impact that, that we began to understand and realize, uh, both through our historical uh, pieces where we were uh, with the EICU and the sepsis program, but also because uh, MCARE gave us the ability to be able to engage with that patient. Yeah, I think that was a really key component of the success of the program is 
Thank you for the plug for M.Care, by the way, and we'll be covering that in a future podcast. But the technology platform coupled with the clinical team at Mercy Virtual and then a motivated patient population. Uh, like Naomi, most of the patients were uh, elderly. They were geographically challenged, technically challenged, physically challenged. And yet we were able to provide a platform and then this constant touch by your clinical staff and so these people were able to stay at home. They had constant communication with the clinical team. They were using the technology to communicate data so that they could be better managed and monitored. I mean, it was a perfect trifecta, if you will. We had the right clinical people, the right technology, and a motivated patient population who just wanted to stay home. They didn't want to drive that two hours to the nearest healthcare facility. And so we achieved, as you know, uh, tremendous results. The um, the case study that, uh, that we keep referring to said that we reduced the cost of care by something like 60%. We reduced ER visits and, and readmissions by over 50%. But the one that I like the most that I know you and I have talked about is the fact that 93% of that patient population touched our app in one form or fashion every single day. And the reason they did that, they knew if they stayed compliant and they stayed in touch with their clinical team, they were going to be able to stay at home, and that was their driver. That was their motivation. So it's really a phenomenal program. Uh, I remember some of the quotes you guys have in the garage uh, from some of the patients and, and the value that they felt out of the program was just heartwarming. And uh, so, yeah, I love the pictures of Naomi. We've uh, used pictures in her story many, many times. So she lives on in our hearts for sure. So, so, Steve, you, you pointed out some things that I think we need to accentuate a little bit because there's urban myths everywhere. And one of the urban myths that I hear all the time is that, well, the elderly can't use technology. Mm -hmm. that, is, yep. that is absolutely baloney. First off, Naomi used it just fine, as did the rest of the patients that were in the program. But my classic is uh, the worst thing I ever did was give my, my mother at 93 an iPad. <laughs> and taught her how to send me emails and texts. Oh my goodness, my life was never the same. And and she she carried that on and, until she passed at the age of ninety seven and a half. Uh, the the elderly absolutely can use the technology. Absolutely. But it also it also has to be the interface. I give you guys kudos again. That you have to be you have to have the interface of the patient engagement platform that is responsive for people, so that it isn't it isn't technically challenging for them to be able to communicate with their caregivers. Yeah. No, I think uh, I think you're spot on, Tom. Steve, the other aspect that I think people need to understand is that this is an augmentation strategy. This does not replace this did not replace Naomi's physician. Naomi right. still went to see her primary care physician, still That's saw right. her specialist. Yep. And we made sure that she had transportation and because we had that team that was behind her, you almost begin to think you're a Verizon commercial where you're all that that <laughs> massive team behind Naomi. Right. But also, it is it is the case because of that augmentation that we don't you know we don't sever that relationship. That's core to what we want to to, to maintain is that relationship between the physician and the patient and the, and the caregivers and the patient. I think I think it is is it is important to point that out. And and despite the extra cost that it was to put that program together, as you pointed out, uh, it it was so impactful that it it. The, the return on investment was almost five five to one from the cost it took to right. put the program in place 
to the savings that we that we uh, attain uh, through value payments like Medicare Advantage and MSSP uh, uh, moving forward. Absolutely. So just for a, a bit of clarity for the audience, so the virtual care model, <clears throat> it works great in all demographics. We have seen examples, and, and Tom's familiar with this as well, uh, it works in our pediatric programs, it works in our senior programs, so it's not limited to a demographic, it's limited only by the imagination of the clinical team and how they wanna work with, monitor, and manage a patient population that's at home. So uh, I think that's uh, uh, what I'm excited about. I know that's what Dr. Hale's excited about is leveraging the clinical know-how and knowledge, coupling it with technology and producing the kind of results that we saw at Mercy Virtual and we see in other implementations. So, so thank you, Dr. Hale. Uh, I think this has been super interesting and informative and we're looking forward to the last in our series of podcasts where we're gonna really talk about now how do we take this, what I'll call proof of concept, this case study, how do we now take it forward and populate it uh, in the healthcare industry? How do we move, uh, how do we move the needle? And uh, we'll be anxious to hear your thoughts on that. Great, Steve, see you next time. All right, sounds good. So to the audience, thank you again for uh, listening today. My email address is steveh at m.care. We encourage you to send in questions that we'll answer in future podcasts and look forward to uh, receiving those from, uh, from the audience. With that said, uh, that ends today. Thank you for your time. Uh, appreciate it. Goodbye.